you don't know me, my name is Heath. I am the lead pastor here at Reach, and I'm excited that you're here this morning. Um, I listened to this week, and here's the beauty. We do put all of our recordings online, so if you miss a week and want to listen to it, uh, if you weren't here last week, I highly recommend um, going online and listening to Pastor Daniel's message from last week on empathy. Home run, buddy. Excellent, excellent word. Uh, excited to have Daniel here for a little bit more. Um, Daniel's going to be planting a church in Little River, South Carolina, which we are really excited about. Left a church. Go, baby. Okay. A couple of things that I, I want to just, uh, re- well, one, to remind you, there's two things out there um, that we may have hit on, but it, it may need some explanation. Well, there's two serve teams that you can get on. It's not necessarily a small group, but it is a great way to get to know other people. One of them is our Sunday morning setup team. Uh, we would love to have some fresh blood in there, excited to make this. I don't know if you know this, but this isn't our building. We use it every week, and during the week, it is set up um, with tables and so we have to take everything out and make it like this so you can have service on Sunday morning. So we'd love some people for that. That's what one of the groups is. And the other, like if you want a better place in heaven, that's a lie because you cannot. But I just I want to if you want a like you want stars in heaven, serve in our reach kids ministry. I mean, I'm just telling you, like they talk about our mansions in heaven. Like you don't get one of those without serving in kids ministry at one point. OK, that. I really want you to serve in kids ministry. All that other stuff um, is up to Jesus. Okay, so don't hold me to that. You're like, where's my mansion at? It was just away. Okay, so I do want to let you know also another thing that is starting next week. We're going to do something we haven't done here. We talk about it in our Sunday morning messages. You'll see glimpses of it. But for the next four to five weeks starting next Sunday, we're going to go through our core beliefs. Our core values, why we do what we do. And next week, I'm going to be hitting on the idea that if there is no presence of God, then there is no ministry. If there is no presence of God, then we are missing everything. That's going to start next week. It's going to be great. So if you're new to Reach and maybe this is your first Sunday, it is a great way to kind of see what we are, what we believe, and where we're going. So this Sunday, I have a... A word that I'm hoping is going to resonate with some of you in this room. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians 4. If you want to get there, we're not going to go there right away, but we're going to be there. um, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, specifically 7 through 18, which is going to be on the screen behind us. But love for you to look in the Bible that you read out of and see that the words that I'm saying are coming out of the word of God and not just something that I am making up. And so what I'm going to talk about this morning is this idea of treasures in jars of clay. And if you've not heard this before, the idea is is that we are that jar of clay, that earthen vessel. And it was one of the uh, easiest things to replace in that day and age. They used it, but it was one of the things that if it broke, which they did often, they would get another one. And the other vessels that they had, which were more durable, this was kind of the, the least of those. So if you have like fine china, you have all these other things in your use in your house, it would be almost like chinette paper plates. It's kind of the idea in our culture. We don't have 
clay pots in your house that you use on a daily basis for your needs. But it's that idea, this idea that there is treasure inside of this vessel. And so with that, and we're going to hit on that, that's actually the section title of what we're going to cover today. But I was this week kind of hit, I don't know if you guys stay in um, like I'm, I'm in this Christian news circle in a sense that, you know, I follow a lot of pastors and on Instagram and stuff and I, and you see things. So you may not even have heard of this, but, uh, there was a young pastor, 30 years old, uh, that a week ago committed suicide. Um, and it, like it, it has just been so heavy on me this week. <laughs> And um, we're reading the one-year Bible, and this section is in there. And so I'm going to do my best, not necessarily to talk about that, but this reality that none of us are exempt from the weight. And this text talks about that, the weight of what this world confronts us with. And there's so much going on. I mean, this um, pastor um, has a, a young wife. They had three young children and um, just so much going on. We're not immune from depression and depression. We have several people in our church um, that have specifically dealt with that specifically. And it is something that is overwhelming. And so not that I'm going to give you answers that's going to free you from depression necessarily, which God has the power to do that, but not always does that happen, and God is still good. So what I want to deal with today is this idea that if we are surrounded with this reality that life is hard, I don't know if anybody else wants to give me an amen on that, um, but life is hard. Life is difficult. And, and one of the lies or illusions that Christians can give you is that say yes to Jesus, enter into this world and do all the things that he asks you to do and you do and you'll never suffer in that way. And I, I just want to tell you that that's not true. I mean, Paul himself said that he struggled unto death, meaning like there it was overwhelmingly so. And if you look at our church history, lots of famous pastors who we look at their 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 writings that we would value not as to the word, but like we just have they've set things in motion for what the way we think and experience life today. And so many of those men struggled with this reality of depression. And I just want to tell you that there is hope in that in spite of how hard this life is. And so how do we live in this tension? The tension that life may not get any easier than it is right now. And Paul's going to deal with that a little bit. And and I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a cure-all. There is no, and I'm not against medication, but there is no pill that's going to fix all our problems. But there is something that we can set our attention on that will change us from the inside out. So let me give you a little lead into where we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. And I know two weeks ago, I preached out of 2 Corinthians 12, this reality that in our weakness, we have access to a powerful God. And, and when we embrace that weakness, he has the 
power to just rest on us and still move through us. Even though Paul asking for that thorn to be removed, it wasn't removed. It was still there. And, and God told him, which this is great for today, too, that my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And starting out in 2 Corinthians, Paul really talks about this reality of what's going on in the world with these believers. But leading up to verse 4, he talks about the glory of this new covenant. And now he's getting ready to explain how this new covenant, this glory that they're going to experience, can also interact with suffering. Because suffering, like he says, isn't removed. And while believers share in the knowledge of the glory of God and are being transformed into the image of Christ, they do so in a frail, they are frail, mortal bodies. And because of this, Paul suffers and faces hardship, but perseveres. He regards this as part of his ministry since such hardships benefited the church of Corinth. And this is where that heart is coming from. He just had this imagery of talking about Moses. Moses went on to the mountaintop and he had this, he experienced the presence of God and came down from that glowing. I know it's odd in our culture. If, if, you know, if I was, if we turned on the light and I was glowing, you would think, Man, he lives a little too close to the nuclear plant down in Southport. But this wasn't so. It was because the holiness and glory was so overwhelming that it affected the appearance of Moses. And, and what Moses did it, he's, is he covered that because that presence was fading from him. That veil. So he would veil that degree that was coming all the glowing that was going off of him so they wouldn't see it leaving him and and paul goes in to say that we are alive with unveiled faces meaning our access to the presence of god isn't diminishing it's ongoing and we have that access and that's leading up into these Words. So we, before we get into 2 Corinthians 4, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. I need you right now. Lord, there is such heartbreak in this room, whether it is personal or experienced through other people. And Lord, I believe that your word gives us the power to overcome, not necessarily move away from, but overcome the things that are going on in our life and to see through this light and momentary suffering to the future weight of the glory that we have access to. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, the, the, that a glimmer of hope, of this treasure that God puts in this earthen vessel. And Lord, I pray that the hope would not be in the vessel, but the hope would be in the treasure. And so this morning, I pray that you would open your word to us, Lord, and even with greater power than I have access to, Lord, I pray that you would do in your word what we are unable to do for ourselves. 
that you would allow us to see past the moment into the future that we have with our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 7, we pick up this section on jars of clay. In verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. I wrote down here, sometimes I forget things, let that truth nugget settle down in you. Think about that for a second. This, I mean, because he's going to deal with this reality that this, this, in this body, there will be struggles. But he's saying that we have this treasure in this jar of clay to show the surpassing power that belong, the power, the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. There's part of a danger as we walk into freedom that we will lie to ourselves and tell ourselves and tell other people that we did it. That we succeeded, that we made it to the other side. But in the truth of the matter is, is we don't get anywhere. There is no freedom without the power and presence of God. There's no lasting freedom. There may be momentary. There may be glimpses of it, but there's no lasting. And, and he's saying that this is done for us. This treasure that we have access to is done for us so that we can know for sure that the power belongs to God and not to us. And then he goes on. And, and I know two weeks ago we talked about, but let me just r- remind you what's going on. Paul's writing this church, this letter to his church that he started, that is struggling, that his sin is invaded. They're doing things that he says, I don't even want to write about. He's struggling with that and, and they're struggling with him going, hey, bring us a letter of recommendation. And I know I said this two weeks ago, but that would be like I was gone for a week. Last Sunday, I went and preached at my home church back and I'm thankful that we only do one service. So I'm telling you about three services of wear you out. But it would be my, like me leaving for one week and Daniel does a, a knock out of the park job. I mean, great job. And then someone calls me in the middle of the week and be like, hey, 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 before you come back next week, can you bring us like a resume? Can you bring us some letters to approve of who you are, even though that I started the church six years ago and I've been here every Sunday other than a few. It would be like that. And this is what's going on with the church. There's things he is being attacked and persecuted. Paul is. And he says in verse eight, he says, we are afflicted in every way, (laughs) but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. In Christ, this is true. Look at this. I mean, afflicted in every way. But not crushed. So he brings you to this place to let you know that he has gone through lots of stuff. But the end of that is he has come through. Driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And these are true, verses 8 and 9 are true even if it doesn't feel like it. Because I'm sure in the point of being driven to despair, all you feel and experience is despair. (laughs) And sometimes not onto the other side of the 
redemption that we see through the despair. But we have to understand that God is working things to his good for his children. In verse 10, it says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. You're like, what is that? (laughs) That's the reality that we are always conscious. That's one reason why we have communion once a month is because we want to be reminded that it was his work that has set us free. When we take communion, it's not just this bread and juice that we do because it's a religious thing that churches do. We do it as a reminder of the death of Christ. Because without the death of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no hope for us. There is no life without the death of Christ. First Corinthians fifteen fourteen says this, and it's a little bit longer, great There's other stuff around this. I recommend reading it says, but if Christ has not been raised, this is talking about the resurrection, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. So he's saying that if there is no death of Christ, there is no life in Christ. We don't worship a good teacher. We don't worship and lay down our lives for a moral teacher that lived a good life. We worship and lay down our lives to a God who put on flesh and lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserve so that we can have life. In verse 11, it says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Christ, for Jesus's sake. So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I mean, this was a season, and I don't know if, I just started listening to the Fox's book of martyrs. I don't know if anybody's, I mean, it's literally like a a history of all the people whose lives were given, not willingly, but taken from them because of their belief in the Messiah, Jesus. And it goes through all the disciples, the 11 that were left after Judas, all of them but one died horrible deaths. I mean, so this is, they literally were being chased for their life and, and it was benefiting the church. And I don't mean like their death was benefiting the church, but their faith in the death. There's so many of these stories. Peter, who I talk about affectionately because I love Peter, because Peter isn't, you know, Paul, Paul, I'm scared of Paul's like the guy that he's like the principal that you're going to get in trouble. And like I said, what? I didn't mean to, Paul. I'm sorry, Peter. I feel like he'd be like, man, I get it. I get it. Paul did not want to be. He got crucified. He didn't want to be crucified like his savior because he didn't feel worthy to do so. So he was crucified upside down. Took it. And most of these, especially as um, the persecution came, most of these trials came like this. Renounce Jesus and live. Don't renounce Jesus and die. And they loved what would be more than what they loved in their own life. And he's saying this because what's going on, the persecution that's specifically happening to Paul was benefiting the church. Verse 13. 
Well, let me do 12. I, don't, I think I missed 12. Um, 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Like he's saying, we're struggling for this, but the life The benefit of our struggle is being seen in the spirit manifesting himself in you guys. And then in verse 13, it says, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believe. And this is crucial. Like this is, I think, as believers, we need to let resonate in us. Paul says in himself, he says, I believe. And so I spoke. I think sometimes we believe and we don't speak. And I don't mean like telling people they're going to hell. I mean talking about the life that Jesus offers, speaking in faith about what God is doing. And he says that. He says, I believe and so I spoke. And and then it says, we also believe and so we also speak. Paul was modeling for us what he's calling us to walk out. Because in the early church, if people gave up when it was tough, the church wouldn't exist today. We would not be meeting today in North Carolina, Leland specifically, in the senior center, if it wasn't for the early believers that decided that their life in Christ was so much greater than their peace And I don't mean like peace that God gives, but peace meaning not being given over to the death that was coming after them. In verse 14, it says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Jesus showed us what the resurrected life would be like. He proved himself. Before that, he was a great teacher, but he told them over and over again. And and there, the death of Christ is amazing for us in our faith. But his resurrection is the exclamation point in what he had done and said. It was the validation. And so here we are knowing that he who raised Lord Jesus will also raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. See, his presence is our place of peace. And that's next week what we're going to talk about. The whole sermon is this idea of how do we get to interact with the presence of God and what does the presence of God really mean for us here in 2018? In verse 15, it says, for it is all For it is all for your sake, so that the grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And he's saying all of the suffering that we're experiencing is for your benefit. Because as you're benefited, as this life is manifested in you, it will extend to more and more people. And it may increase the thanksgiving and the glory to God. See, he was sure and confident that what he was going through would eventually bring glory to Jesus. And bringing grace to others is bringing glory to God. It is part of what we are. And so then, so here's, here's, here's the conversation. This is where it switches a little bit into him kind of encouraging the church and talking about that. 
Because it's one thing to say that I am, as the leader, am struggling because I'm being persecuted for your sake. It's another thing to say it's coming to you, which Jesus did tell us that if they persecuted him, they will persecute us. And so he's telling them in verse 16, it says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. In verse 17, and this is, this is overwhelming for, for someone in the middle of this, this is, this is a very, I don't want you to take this statement meaning that he wasn't experiencing the pain or suffering. In verse 17, it says, for this light and momentary affliction. This is a man who was stoned to death. They thought they had killed him. Drug him out of town. He revived. Went back in town and preached. This is a man who had been beaten, shipwrecked. I mean, his list, and there there is a list that literally goes through all the things that he has experienced. And so he is not... Like diminishing what you're going through. He's not saying it is light and momentary, meaning what you're going through isn't of any great significance. Because we see through his own life that it was not just like, hey, no big deal, I'm the man, talking about Paul, not me. Like, I'm the man, I'm going to make it through these things. He's saying that it is light and momentary <clears throat> affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of the glory beyond all comparison. So the, it's light and momentary compared to what we have access to in and through Christ now, but more specifically what we have access to afterwards. So I'm not diminishing what's going on, the inner turmoil that's going on inside of you, but when we get to look past the now and see the reality of what God is offering us in his glory, it changes us. He was sure that his trials were working for him, and this is critical, not against him. He was sure that his trials were working for him and not against him. And he was sure that what was coming was greater and beyond all comparison to what he was experiencing now. And he gives us a little look into how this is seen in his own life in verse 18. It says, and as we look not to things that are seen, but things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal Could you imagine if you could change the way you looked at everything, you could change the way that you interact with everything that you're chasing after right now? Could you imagine if you in your brain could really flip the switch that nothing here, all these other things that we chase after right now, we would be angry if someone did something to someone. uh, I heard this one time they were talking about how can you tell what your idol is? He said, have somebody take it away, and when you get angry, there you go. And there's things in our life that we would literally die for that are transient. Meaning, our possessions. The hours that we're logging in, and I don't want you to stop working because you need to support your family. But, if we could change 
our mindset, it would change the way we interact with those because there is one, only one thing that is going to last forever. And that is the soul of man. And the only thing in this world that is not going to be transient is those people that we interact with. And when we embrace empathy, we embrace the reality that every single one of us have been saved by grace alone. And with that, it removes our compulsion to look at other people and say, no, God cannot do in them what he did in me. See, he was sure that the invisible world that he treasured, the kingdom of the living God, was real. And it was the treasure. And so here's some things that I I just want to leave with us as we look through the reality of how do we, even though we're wasting away. And and the, the, the treasure of this is the older you get, the more you realize that this is wasting away. The, the more you realize that youth is, is, is not something that you're going to get back, the more you begin to realize and look at the things that you want to really value. Because we realize that this world, our life is temporary. And so here, here's some things to understand. And this is what I tried to say at the beginning. I want to clarify right now. There's no easy answers to life. God is the greatest treasure, and the more we renew ourselves in him every day, the more we set our mind to him being our treasure, the easier everything else will be. But I don't want to say that so that you think, well, as long as he's my treasure, everything else is going to be cake and pie. Because it's not. Listen to this. John sixteen thirty three says, I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is always going to be our answer. The one reason that we ask you to be in the word is because the word leads us from beginning to end to Jesus. From beginning to end, even the Old Testament, Leviticus some of the stories, I know, I get into the genealogies sometimes of like people when it's counting armies and stuff. And I'm like, but every one of those things is leading to this greater story of Jesus. Here's the next thing. It says, there is a God who is available and understands our pain and suffering. This is the beauty of Jesus putting on flesh and living here on this world. And Hebrews four fifteen through 16 gives us this picture. It says in verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Every emotion that you're experiencing, he has interacted with. He knows what it means to be hungry. He knows what it means to be hot and sweaty. There was no AC back then. I turned it down for you guys. I don't know if you're cold in here during service and I apologize for that. Uh, but 
I like the AC. Every single thing that you're going through, being rejected, if you're suffering with this idea of rejection, there was no one more rejected than Jesus. He told them that they were going to reject him and leave him. And they all swore to their lives that they would not leave him. And what happened? They all ran away and he was left alone. And his number one guy, Peter, even told that he was going to deny him three times. And within 12 hours, he had done exactly what Jesus told him that he was going to do. Betrayed. Rejected. He was facing this hard dilemma of the cross. And I think sometimes we, we dehumanize, which is a negative to Jesus. We, we like, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, he was in the garden praying to the Father that if there's any way that we can avert this and still have the end result, let's do that. But he said, not my will, but yours. That's the God that we, like it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I don't know what's going on with you. I don't know what struggle that you're having. I don't know what loneliness you're experiencing. I don't know what level of depression that you may potentially be in right now. But I can say that as you draw near to Jesus, he gives us clarity to see what is coming. And that's the treasure that we get to experience right now. And I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And here's, here's my last thing. This is the beauty of what it's saying here with this vessel. Is all you have to do to work on is being a good vessel. What makes you a good vessel? Being empty and available makes you a good vessel. And you know what suffering does? Suffering empties out all these other things and brings us to this point that we can literally say, God, I am am poured out. And I need you to pour into me. We are vessels so that God might use us. We are earthen vessels so that we might depend on God's power and not ours. So I encourage you right now as we go into our last song and we intentionally do a little music at the end not to keep you here a little bit longer that's but instead so that you can have a few minutes while I'm not talking to reflect on what God's doing in and through you and Hopefully, potentially, have a conversation with a loving God that has experienced all what you're experienced, that isn't distant, even though you may feel like it. That is in this room right now, the presence of the living God. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. And so right here, during this last few minutes of our service, while the music is going on, you can literally have a conversation with the living God, and he can exchange what you have been treasuring with him. And he can give you life that you cannot manifest in yourself. He can give you hope for what you're going through. And so I encourage you, here's the simple thing. I know sometimes in front of people, face to face, we want to present a certain thing. Be raw and honest 
with the living God. And here's why. You can fool me. You can come up after service and you can shake my hand and you can smile and say everything's great. and Everything's good. And I may believe you. You cannot fool the God who created you. Who knit you together in your mother's womb. He is fully aware of what you're experiencing and what you're going through. And he proved his love for us on the cross. So this morning as we close, embrace the living God. And the, the cool thing is here in just a few minutes during worship, we're going to have um, people up front that would love to pray with you. If something's going on and you just need a, a, a helping hand of prayer, that's what they're here for. Let's pray. Dearly Father, it is by your grace and mercy that right now we can draw into our lungs the breath of life. And that breath that we're experiencing is fleeting because we need another one and another one and another one to keep us alive. And just like that breath that we're pulling into our lungs, we need our Savior to really experience life. So, Lord, I pray that you would breathe into us. As we open ourselves to honest, sincere conversation and honest, sincere, this is what's going on in my life. Lord, I pray that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that the the measure of hope that's being experienced would be multiplied. As we begin to focus on the real treasure. So, Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for what this next few minutes may do in our lives. And, Lord, I thank you that you've chosen to use paper plates in our world to transform and build your kingdom. So thank you for the grace that you're pouring out in us right now. Thank you for the truth that your word presents to us. I pray that the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that we embrace from the outside world would be counteracted by the truth of who you say that we are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.